Okay. Why do rabbis make rules? Throughout Jewish history, the rabbis have enacted takanot, or rabbinic ordinances, to safeguard Jewish observance. Shabbos begins at sundown. The sages extend it by 18 minutes. The evening Shema must be recited by sunrise. The rabbis said midnight. Where did they learn this behavior? Why are the Torah's commands not enough? Okay, let's start with the, the first example that they bought Friday night. You know, Shabbat, you have to light the candles. Shabbat starts by sunset. In every calendar, you see the candle, ti- candle lighting time. It's 18 minutes before. It's, it's uh, 18 minutes before sunset. You have to light candles. Why we do 18 minutes before? There is two reasons. Number one, because there is a mitzvah, it's called Tosefet Shabbat. You have to add to the Shabbat a little bit in the before and end Shabbat a little later, a little after night time, nightfall. That's why we start Shabbat a little earlier and then Shabbat a little later. It's a mitzvah. It's called to add to the Shabbat. In addition, why we do it 18 minutes? Because if God forbid, if you're supposed to light a candle 18 minutes and you are late, you still have 18 minutes to make this up. You have time that if you, if you, if you're late, you still have another two minutes, another two minutes, another four minutes, you still have time to make it. That's what it's all about. Then it, this idea that you have enough time to make a mistake, it's a safeguard. It's a fence around the Shabbat to make sure nobody violates the Shabbat that we give you 80 minutes in advance. You know, if you wait till the last minute and your, your, your clock was wrong or the other clock was wrong, the clock stopped, the clock was too fast, too slow. You can get in trouble. That's why we give you 18 minutes. And they chose 18 minutes because of Chai? Or why? why yeah, 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 yeah. You know, if there is 18 minutes to bake, to bake a matzah, it takes, uh, they say less than, they, uh, if it's less than 18 minutes, it's not, it's not going to become hummus. It's not going to become uh, leaven, leaven bread. And then it's 18 minutes means it's a, it's a certain amount of time in Jewish law. And it's considered uh, very close, if you want. The other example is that we're going to learn now is about the the Shema. We have a mitzvah to say the Shema twice a day. Once in the morning and once in the night. As we learned last week, then the Shema is the way that we have a mitzvah to learn Torah once uh, in, during the day and during the night. Then the Shema of the morning is the learning Torah of the morning. The Shema of the night is the learning Torah of night. Then, uh, then what what you see here is that that's what we, that's why we learn Torah. That's why we say the Shema twice a day. Sorry. Now, the rabbi said night. You can say the Shema any time during the night. That's the that's the law, the original law. Came the rabbis and said not all night. You have to do it before midnight. Let's read it from inside. Um, rabbi, you want to read source one. When do we recite the evening Shema? Our sages say until midnight. Rabbi Gamaliel says until dawn. You see, this is the first Mishnah in the whole Talmud. The first law that we learn is about the Shema at night. It's an old question why we start with this, with this Mishnah. Why the old Talmud is concerned with this question? When we, when we say the Shema at night, that one of the explanations is that you and somebody is turning 13. When, when, what time is he turning 13? When, when is he begin the 13th day? 
day of his life is becoming an adult or a girl when she becomes 12. And at night, right? The day starts the night before, right? Midnight. And the first, no, not midnight, it's interesting. By Jewish law, in the secular calendar, the day starts midnight. By Jewish law, the day starts by sunset. Okay. That's so why Shabbat, right? That's why Shabbat starts the sunset before. It's not start on the seven days, it starts the sixth day at night. Friday evening starts Shabbat. Every holiday starts Friday, uh, the evening before sunset. Because in Jewish calendar, the day starts the night before. And because it's written in the Bible, when God created the world, it was evening, it was morning, it was one day. That the day starts the evening before. The beginning of the day in Jewish law is sunset. Not like uh, the secular calendar midnight, it starts sunset. Then when a bar mitzvah boy turns 13, or a girl turns 12, when, is, when, she be, when he or she becomes obligated in mitzvahs, sunset. The first mitzvah they are obligated to do is to say the Shema. That's why the Mishnah starts with the Shema. The evening Shema. That's one example. Sorry, I'll be right back. I got to go take the dog out. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy, enjoy your new uh, responsibilities. Um, all, hi, guys. Um, oh, everybody's here. Welcome. Then uh, welcome Olga and Michael. And Ed is here and Oleg is here. I was already worried. <laughs> then uh, the, that's one explanation why we say the Shema at night. Why, why, why the Mishnah starts with the same, with the, with the Shema? The first law. The other explanation is also interesting. We start with the Shema, with the Mitzvah of the Shema at night. It means to say, even when it's dark, even when things are not good, we still say Shema Israel, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. When things are not perfect, when people feel that the world is coming to an end, Anybody on his own level, if it's because of COVID, even because of the political situation, whatever a person feels that the world is coming to an end, we still say, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. When things are good, when it's morning and it's bright and it's beautiful, it's easy to say Shema. And it's, when it's dark, that's the time to say the Shema. In any case, that's why the Mishnah started Shema. But the law is, as, the, as the, the Mishnah says, and Chachamim said, until, until what time can you read the Shema? Until midnight. Rabbi Gamliel said, until, until dawn. Continue. Uh, Rabbi Gamliel's sons once returned from a celebration that he told him, we haven't yet recited the Shema. He said to them, if dawn has not yet arrived, you are still obligated to recite it. Why did the sages say until midnight to distance a person from transgression? Yes. Yeah, then what is he saying? Rabbi Gamliel, the kids came from a party, from a wedding. They came and they said they forgot to say Nishma. He says it was already after midnight. He said you can do it as long as before dawn you can do it. And I told them why the rabbi said until midnight. He said to, to, it's a fence. It's to make sure you don't forget. You know, people at night are tired. They go, they have a party, they stay, take a few lachimes, they fall asleep and finish. Therefore we say, say Nishma early. When you, every time when you make a fence, you never make, you never reach to the level that you make a mistake. 
you don't say, put in front of a kid, here is drugs and here is the alcohol and here is this, and they just don't take it. You make a fence. Don't even go to a party with a drink. Don't even be around drugs. Don't even be around. To make sure you don't get them. The other example of offenses, for example, in the Code of Jewish Law, in, 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 in marital relationships, a man cannot be locked up in a room with somebody who is not his wife. It's called Ichud. Why? Well, you don't trust me. We trust you. You are the most righteous human being on earth. Or just to make sure nothing happens. Make to make, just to make sure that nobody can accuse you for something. That's offense. I know a doctor, a very big doctor, he told me that his door to his office is never closed. It's always open and finished. He says he doesn't need any troubles. I know him for 30 years almost. He told me in his, in his now. Our vice uh, president, Pence, said that he never. Never goes anywhere without his wife. Right. That's offense. Yeah. And everybody loves the all. He's a smart man. He doesn't then, and nobody should be able to complain. Nobody should quetch and finish. His wife should not quetch. Other people should not get finished. That's offense, exactly. Now we'll talk about what he, when is, when we, what, what, what are the rabbis doing? And when do you want to read it? Torah states, do not add to that which I command you, nor subtract from it. This warns us There is a question. It's written in the Torahnomy, do not add and do not subtract. Then how did the rabbis make new things? What's going on here? I'm sorry, that, that's a question. Okay, go ahead. This warns us not to be overly smart and say, I will add to God's commandment, thinking that we thereby serve God. We were told, do not add, because the Torah is perfect and does not need additions or subtractions. By increasing, you are actually diminishing. Our sages cite examples. Adding a fifth scroll to the foreign tefillin, or adding a fifth species to the four species of Sukkot, or adding a fourth blessing to the three priestly blessings. Okay, let's stop by there. The Torah says, as the expenser, God does need my help. The Torah is perfect. Don't be righteous, more righteous than God. Oh, you have a new mitzvah to do. Don't let no mitzvahs. Dancing the aura is not a mitzvah. There is the mitzvah of God and eating falafel is not a mitzvah. There is the, there is the mitzvah God said he doesn't need anybody's help. More than that, the problem with helping is, is how the, the Yitzhah comes to a person. He tells you, oh, you become very righteous and we will add a new mitzvah. Then you get used to it and you can do with the Torah whatever you want. I'm a chochem. I will add something. This, let's add here, let's reduce this because this doesn't make sense. This is stupid. It was right in the years before we had hygiene. We needed to keep kosher. Now everything is so clean. We don't need to keep kosher. You know, these excuses that people make. Then we want, we can add. The Torah tells you don't add. God doesn't need your favors and don't subtract. Here the example, what? Can I I ask a question? Please. If we don't add, for example, uh, so it says don't eat goat in its mother's milk. But now like we don't eat chicken with milk as well. So is that the right thing to do? Very good, very good. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Um, that's a good question. We will get to it. That's the whole conversation is all about that. What she's asking is, 
Okay, first we'll explain what's written here. The, the example that they bring here is you cannot add, for example, tzitzis has four, 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 on the four corners. Somebody will say, I will put five tzitzis. I'm more righteous. There is four, the lulav, you take the lulav and the trog, the adasim and the aravot, right? The myrtles and the willows. And they're talking, and the lulav. Then we take all four of them. Somebody will say, I have another thing. We'll put, we'll make it better. Don't add, don't do anybody favors. You're not allowed to. Then Mrs. Olga is asking, very good, that's a good question, shows that you're a scholar. You know, there is, we, we do not eat milk with chicken meat, right? Oy vey, milk with milk, treif! But then you look in the Bible, it's written, you're not allowed to cook the meat with the mother's milk. The, the rabbis have written three times in the Bible. The, the rabbis learned from it that you're not allowed to eat milk. You're not allowed to cook it together, milk and meat. You're not allowed to eat it together. And you're not allowed to benefit from it in any way, shape, or form. Sell it or something like this. That meat and milk is a biblical law. That's one of the 613 commandments. That's not what she was asking. So she was asking is, later the rabbis made a rule, not only... Meat and milk you're not allowed together. Beef, but chicken meat. That biblically you were allowed to eat it together. We are not allowed to eat it together too. And she is asking how the rabbi said it alone. Now we'll, we'll continue the next paragraph. I believe the next paragraph will answer. Continue, Wendy. However, however. Go ahead. I, um, however, rabbinic ordinances are not considered additions because their sole purpose is to protect Torah law, comparable <laughs> to a fence surrounding a vineyard, for example. For example, the sages instructed at a Nazarite detour around a vineyard. Okay, let's, let's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. let's stop right here. The rabbis are not adding laws, they're adding fence. There are, if the rabbis would say, not eating chicken milk, chicken meat with milk is a biblical law. They are disobeying God's law. You're not allowed to add a mitzvah to the 630 commandment. Although they said, they came and said, you're, biblically you're allowed to eat it. We are making a fence. Why? Because I will, somebody will walk to your house and you see, somebody walk to my house and see I'm eating meat, chicken meat, schnitzel with meat, with, with the cheese. And say, I saw the rabbi eating milk and meat. Obviously, it's allowed. Go scream and tell them, no, 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 it's not chicken meat. Don't, because you might make a mistake, people will think you are, that if this is allowed, the other one is allowed. Therefore, they made a rule, no milk with meat. Finished. End of story. So why is, if if you were to put it and call it animal meat, so it's just animals and meat, animals and milk, then how do fish go in that category? Fish, fish you're, allowed, you're allowed to eat fish and milk, and milk yes. I know, I never understood, but that's an animal. Fish is not an animal. Yes, it is. <laughs> really? Really? Fish is, fish, fish is not fish an, is an animal. animal. Go look in Wikipedia. You'll see fish is an animal. In, in the Fish is not an animal. Tell me, I will want to ask you something. you have an aquarium in your house? you have a fish tank? I do not. Okay, if you would have a fish that you eat with, with uh, animals, 
you can establish a relationship usually with a fish. The fish jumps and gets excited about you. Oh, I'm me, I'm home. Come and go and say hello to the fish. Tell me. Wait a minute. I did have a the fish missing you. The fish is missing you. No. <laughs> we had a fish at yeah. one point. And, and you go in love. You go in love. I know. You were amazing. Oh, he loved us. He would follow us. He would, in the tank, he would go from side to side. We would play with him. That's okay. I know. But he's not <laughs> at the same level. The relationship with dogs is completely a different dog. People are now more in love with the dogs than with the humans. But fish, fish is a different, is a lower level of life. It's not like animals. No. And that's why we don't even have to slow, you know, when you have an animal, a kosher animal, you have to slaughter it in a very certain specific way to make it the most less painful way. You're not allowed to eat the blood of the animal and so on. And you have to, right. that's why we have to salt it and fish. You don't have to, you just take it out of the water. You can kill it any way you want. You can eat it with, you no reason, you don't have to get rid of the, of the, of the, of the, of the blood. You can eat it anyway. Cause it's not life on the level of animals. The rabbi. Fish is a whole different story. Go ahead. Okay. Then, oh, I'm go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. Finish. Finish. Leslie, oh. finish what you want well, to say. Oh, okay. Two of us were trying to talk. Okay. So then, why can you not eat fish on the same plate as meat or chicken? Oh, that's a different. That's a that's an extra thing. <laughs> I understood that. That's an extra thing. That's written. It's written. It's <laughs> dangerous. I think in, in Jewish law to eat it together. It's mm-hmm. not good for you to digest. You should first eat fish, then you should eat meat. Or that's not like not allowed. You understand what I'm saying? So you can, you can eat fish. I mean, you can eat them simultaneously without a space between them, but you can't have them at, at the, the same, same time on right. the same plate. Yes, yes, yes. I, uh, you eat fish first, then you eat meat. Oh, you or, don't eat together. I don't think yeah, you can more eat of a together. custom though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So I'd like to learn where that custom comes from because it's that all discussion. What? That one doesn't make sense to me. Why you can't eat fish and meat at the same time, at the same plate? It's not healthy. I think that's the reason, if I remember correct. I don't remember correct the reason, but I think it's because the rabbis were the later, later, the, this law came much later. And the rabbi said it should not be. Um, Rab, check it on Wikipedia. What's the reason? I'm sure it's written somewhere. What's yeah. the reason? Why are we continuing the class? Well, there is a reason something about it's not healthy, if I remember correctly. Okay. Go ahead, Ed. So, so if the reason for not having chicken and dairy is to avoid confusion, somebody yes. else seeing you doing it and thinking you're violating the law, um, why then are you allowed to have like a, a veggie burger with cheese on it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <gasps> Veggie burger, yeah. And it looks like, then I'll tell you, some people will not do it. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that the veggie burger is a taste of a piece of I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> but to somebody looking no, in your window, no, they don't nobody, know. Nobody will make a mistake like this. It's so schwach. It's... Here, I, I got something here. It says, Go ahead. the Talmud relates in Pasachim 76b that eating fish together with meat leads to davar achar, literally something else. Rashi explains that something else refers to sorrow skin affliction. To, to, say, to, to what? To what? Uh, Rashi explains something else refers to sarot, a skin affliction. Uh, oh, to a skin Leprosy. disease. To a skin disease. 
that's why out. Basically, it's because of health reasons. Right? Go ahead, continue. Yeah, that's all so far. That's uh, it. Okay. Thank you. You don't want skin afflictions, right? That's it. It says uh, it says Pesahim seventy six B. Yeah, yeah. Meat and fish to uh, cook together since the combination causes health problems and bad breath. Oh, bad breath. That's even better. <laughs> I mean, now, that. now that everybody goes with the mask, we are safe from this problem. <laughs> <laughs> Something. It's in. It's in Pesahim seventy six. Yeah, yeah. He just said it, Rab. Rab just said it. Yes. Okay, okay. Now that we, we, then, the example, oh, I'm sorry, Wendy, we, I stopped you in the middle. Like, for example. For example, the sages instructed that a Nazarite detour around a vineyard rather than walk through and struggle with his temptations. Temptation. In fact, violating rabbinic ordinances is a transgression of Torah's commandment of do not veer from the words of the sages. Additionally, the Torah says, safeguard my commandments. Our sages explain this to mean set up additional safeguards for God's commandments. Now, what I want to tell you is there is two, there is two things here. So, first of all, I give you an example. A Nazarite, the Nazarite took upon himself not to drink wine. Then we tell him, not only don't drink wine, don't go around a vineyard. Don't be around it. There shouldn't be any temptations. Like somebody who is in an AA program, we tell them don't even have from the window, don't look on a, on a liquor store. Right? Don't even be close to it. Because you, it will, it will take you to, to attention. I'm talking to, I'm talking from people that I, that they are struggling with this thing. You don't even go close. And that's what the Torah tells us. There is something not allowed. Why to be around that and make a mistake? Now, the Torah says, don't take it light when the rabbis make a rule. There is a mitzvah in the Torah, in Deuteronomy, you have to listen to the rabbis. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. You should not deviate from everything that the rabbis tell you to do. Rabbis, I don't mean me or rabbis in our generation. Talking about the Talmudic rabbis, that the rules became accepted by the majority of the Jewish people. When they made the rules, the majority of the Jewish people talking about Jewish people observe rules. A majority of Jewish people who doesn't observe, observe rules is not a majority. Talking about people who believe in the rules, if they accepted a rule, it becomes a law forever. Is there ever a instance where they didn't accept the rule? Yes, actually, yes. For example, the rabbis uh, Ezra, there is a, 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 a takana. And um rule that the rabbis made, then people men should have to before they learn Torah should have to go to the mikveh. Now you need to understand the mikvehs at that time were not like the mikveh that we have in Solon Ayo with a hot tub and it's beautiful and it's clean and it's cleaner than your own house. But uh, <laughs> but the but the, the mikveh at that time means to go to a river in middle of in the middle of the winter, break the ice and toivo. Then what do you think happened? The men and the men are not so enthusiastic, they stayed home. They didn't go to the yeshiva. Then the rabbi said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If now people don't learn Torah, they don't go to the mikveh and they don't learn Torah. Then, they, then it was, basically it was not spread. The rule was not accepted and it did became law. Yes. It's not the rules of the rabbis and the exception of the majority of the Jewish people that makes the rule a rule. Exactly. And therefore when the, when the rabbis made a rule and 
but what I mean to say is you asked me before, Ed, about the, the meat, the, the, what is called? The, the veggie. Veggie yeah, We, you see the rabbis of today, the rabbis in a generation decided that they want to make a rule because they feel it's offensive, not people make mistakes. We do not have an obligation today to follow their logic. You understand? It's something very important to understand. You have an obligation if there's a biblical law, no matter what, if something looks like the same law, you're not allowed to do it. But to, um, to continue the logic of offense, I don't have to continue the logic. For example, you know, you know what, uh, what it's called in, in Pesach, we don't need, um, um, kidneyot. Kidneyot. Thank you. I'm getting old. Kidneyot. What is kidneyot? Kidneyot is rice or, um, what else is kidneyot? Like, uh, what? Beans. 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 Peanut. Peanuts, um, yeah, all of these things. Why the rabbi, um, why the rabbis made the law? Because you can make from it flour and then you can bake something that look like bread and people will think that you're allowed to eat bread and, bread and Pesach or cake. Now, how is it you go to Ongers? There is such a variety of cakes. <laughs> how they bake the cakes from potato starch, right? That's all the cakes are from potato starch. Now, people will say, why, why, why is potato starch allowed? And, and the bean starch is not allowed. We do not have an obligation. When, when the potato starch became, became a big thing, I think it was in the early seventies and they started to make eggs, became a big discussion. And the rabbi said, we do not have, why the rabbis didn't bend potato starch when they did the, the idea with the rice? Because there was no potatoes existing at that time. Potatoes is relatively a new thing. I think it's 500 years old. Well, you look at the Wikipedia. It's like, you Steve, you should know this kind of thing. So it's probably 500 years old. Sure, I should know. The same thing with, quin- with quinoa, because quinoa is allowed for that reason. Yeah, that's what I mean to say. Then they asked the rabbis, what's the difference between potato starch and the other starch? They said, we have no obligation to extend the logic of the rabbis from 500 years ago. Whatever they made the rule and we accept it, that's the rule. Making new rules, we have no obligation. For offense, if it's a biblical law, not to use fire on Shabbat, you're not allowed to use a fire. If it's in a car, if it's in electricity, no matter what. But to extend offense, we have no obligation. You understand? That's why a veggie burger is, we don't have to do it. What? I'm sorry. The, the Sephardim, though, eat all that kind of stuff. On because you're right. It's a good point. Thank you for bringing up this point. The Sephardic communities never accepted the defense to begin with. The Ashkenazi rabbis made it for the Ashkenazi Jews at that world. There was no internet. The Sephardic community had no idea what's going on in Ashkenazi countries. Then wherever the Jews accepted the rule, it became a rule. Wherever the communities didn't accept the rule, it's not a rule. Now we are stuck because the Ashkenazi Jews and Sephardic Jews are mixing and it becomes complicated. And basically you go, if your husband is Ashkenazi, you have to go by the Ashkenazi rules. If your husband is Sephardi, go by the Sephardi rules. Now if you are strong, if you rule the house more than you rule your husband, maybe you have to go by your rule. Whoever wins the pants, whatever, what I tell you? I'm not going to get involved in this fight. But in general, that's the rule. So when... Go ahead. So when technology changes, I mean, 
it, it needs to be addressed some way, somehow, so you at least know what the requirement is. So I'm thinking now, for example, about like lab grown meat, right? As opposed to from a farm, from a living animal. You know, can you mix lab grown meat with cheese? Because that's coming. They're going to have lab grown meat on it's the market. A good, right? I don't know the answer. I think it will not be allowed because how they grow it from uh, cells, from, from cells of animals. From vegetables. From vegetables or from yeah. meat or from meat? From vegetables. They they grow it from vegetables? I think it will and be if allowed. It, if it's going from vegetables, it's not meat. I, I I don't know. It'll be a very hard question. Could be the rabbis will say that's not allowed because it looks like meat. It will have the taste of meat and look maybe not like veggie and garbage. I mean, it'll be real. Right. But I, well, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. It's, I'm sure it's going to be an argument and a big fight. And some rabbis will say it's allowed. And some rabbis will say it's not allowed. The same thing is about um, uh, cells. If you, you I mean, they, they will keep creating humans. I mean, that's going to be the bigger problem. Well, isn't the modern thing to turkey? There was no turkey, right? They had a big discussion of whether the turkey was a kosher bird. Yeah, Turkey is a matter of tradition. That's a, that's a all different discussion. And because birds read only, only by tradition. And that's a whole different story. But hey, yeah. Rabbi, potatoes, 5,000 to 8,000 BC in Peru, but in Europe in the 1500s. That's what I'm saying. But Peru doesn't count. Right. There was no Jews in Peru at that time. In general, the Jews were in Europe. They were eating uh, potatoes, starting eating 15, 500 years ago, and that's where, and, and, and the rabbis who made the rules from, from kidneys was before that. Right. That's why they didn't, they didn't bend the, I remember early 70s, as a child, I remember the discussion why the rabbis don't bend potato starch. Okay. Rabbi, you, no. you, you froze, um, your screen froze when you were answering a question. I didn't hear the discussion, um, from Ashkenazi and Sephardic, you follow the husband, yet in the house, it's like you're Jewish based on the, the mother. You're so right. you're where right. does that, I think, I think you answered that, but you froze. And so I, didn't I hear actually, I actually didn't answer that. That's a good question. Oh, okay. Well then. Jewish or not Jewish goes by the mother because it goes by the genes. You see, the Jewish people, they have laws, but then they have the personalities. The personalities means the mercy, the rachmones that a Jew has, the sensitivity, sensitivity to other people, the care, the love that comes from the mother, the nine months of the mother's womb, the genes of the mother. The, the mother has the biggest influence on the baby. The first few years that the child is growing up, that goes by the mother. Technical things goes by the father. If he's a Cohen or a Levi, if a Ashkenazi or Sadi, that goes by the by the by the by the father. But the real thing who he is, that goes by the mother. Okay. The more important things goes by the mother. Jewish or not Jewish, that's what the bottom line. The rest of it is 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 is, is nothing. Eat, you can eat rice, you don't eat rice. This is small things, small problems. Jewish or not Jewish, that's what it's all about. In any case, okay, no, uh, source number three. Um, um, Leslie, you're supposed to read. Go ahead. Oh, okay. There are no biblical safeguards for Torah does not create prohibitions, lest you transgress a mitzvah. 
Whenever a law is described as a safeguard, it is a rabbinic enactment. This is the opinion of Rashbat. However, you know what? You know what? Um, let's not go there. Let's just read it. Just start, okay. I'll start the next paragraph. I'm sorry. Halachic, halachic authorities in recent generations discuss whether safeguards are on. Hold on. Are only enacted by the sages or whether some of the actual prohibitions in Torah can be defined as safeguards as well. Okay. One second, one second. What's going on here? One second. I want to make it a little bigger. One second. So I can go for some reason. It's not going. Then I try something, it never goes. Oh. Now it's big. Okay. The Rebbe is, is, is starting the discussion notes from the Rebbe, with the Rebbe's talk. Is, a, is where the rabbis came up with the idea of making safeguards to the Torah. There is a Jewish concept. Whatever the rabbis did, they found something in the Torah and they extended it. They didn't just set up one day and they said, guys, that's a problem. People making mistakes, let's fix it. They had to learn it from somewhere in the Torah. The rabbis, everything that they did is just following something that's written in the Torah. They never made up new ideas. They based the rules right in the Torah and they extended it. They made it bigger and better. But that's all the source comes from the Torah. Then that's a question. The authorities in, in, our, in later generations were asking, is this idea of making offense to the Torah, is this an invention of the rabbis? As, or it's re, or it's hinted at somewhere could be found in the Torah that the Torah itself made a safeguard for one for a certain mitzvah for a certain commandment. So I continue. At first glance, the very concept of safeguard seems to be formulated by the sages. Although a given action is permitted in Torah law, they forbid the action to safeguard you from. God forbid, transgressing an actual Torah law. As our sages state in ethics of our fathers, establish a boundary around the Torah. We also know that these safeguards were primarily enacted in the Second Temple era due to weakened Jewish observances. But the actual commandments in Torah belong to a different category. They are the self-standing prohibitions. Torah does not create prohibitions to protect you from different ones. It says like this. Now, in the first glance, the Torah gives you the prohibitions. The rabbi make the safe, the rabbis make the safeguard. The Torah tells you, tells you, this is not allowed. Now protect yourself. It's not my problem how, how you protect yourself from it. The rabbis came and saw that people are weak. <coughs> They're not as careful. They didn't grow up in, in traditional homes. They don't know. Let's help them to protect themselves. But originally, so to speak, the law doesn't make probably a, a, a safeguard. The Torah is not busy with safeguards. Torah tells you, you're not allowed to eat pork. Now it's up to you not to eat it. Came the rabbis and said, you know, if you don't, if you, you might forget to eat pork, better don't go to a store. You know, the rabbis are trying, like your mommy, who tries to protect you, your parents who try to protect you from making a mistake. But with the, the law is the law. That's the first, in the first glance. Okay. Um, Michael, you want to continue? But the Rebbe wants to prove from other places, then it's really, there is already written something in the Torah 
then from this we learn the concept of safeguard. There is already a safeguard in the Torah. Go ahead. Eat matzahs for seven days, but on the first day destroy leaven leaven from your homes, because whoever eats leaven from the first day through the seventh will have his soul cut off from Israel. Do not slaughter the What he says here, he says for seven days you eat matzahs, but on the first day destroy leaven from your own. And when you have to destroy the, the leaven from your own. If the Torah tells you you should eat seven days, okay, read the, read the second one. <laughs> Don't slaughter the Passover sacrifice with leaven in your possession. Don't allow the Passover sacrifice to remain overnight until morning. Here we say another rule. That when, while you slaughter the animal, you slaughter the Passover lamb. In the time of the temple, they used to bring a Passover lamb. And they, when you slaughter the Passover lamb for Pesach, you're already not allowed to have chomets. But let's go back to the first source. He says seven days you eat matzahs. But on the first day, you should destroy the chomets. Then if you destroy the chomets on the first day, you're not eating seven complete days matzah. You understand the problem? If I am starting to destroy the chomets on the beginning of the first day of Pesach, then I don't eat. I, then then I I I, meet, I have chomets during the seven days, during the beginning of the seven days. That the rabbis told us here is you learn the way you understand the verse is you have to eat. You have to destroy the the chomets. Before the seven days, before the beginning of Pesach, you have to destroy the chomets. For example, what time we're burning the chomets Erev Pesach? What time we get rid of the chomets? If the, if, if the Seder is tonight, what time we'll get rid of the chomets? 10 o'clock-ish. In 10 o'clock what? 10 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock in the morning? In the morning. In the morning. Oh, 10 o'clock in the morning. We burn the chomets, we stop eating chomets for midday, even an hour before midday, you know that? Why? Because if you have to have seven clean days of matzahs, you must destroy the chomets, get rid of the chomets before that. Not during the Seder. Not while, while you have to eat matzah. Then there is a second law. We have to, we have, we have to, there is a mitzvah in the time of the temple, we bought a sacrifice the lamb, Passover lamb to the temple. When we brought the Passover lamb to the temple, when we slaughtered it, when we supposed to eat it, when we supposed to eat the lamb, the meat, by the Seder, right? If you have to eat it by the Seder, when you supposed, when you supposed to, when you, when you supposed to, 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 to slaughter it, before the Seder, right? Then you have to slaughter the animal in the temple Erev Pesach. If Pesach is tonight, from after midday, you are able to go to the temple to slaughter your animal, to prepare it for eating at night. Then the Torah tells you, while you're slaughtering the, 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 the animal, you're not allowed to have chomets. That's what the Torah says in the second, in the second quote that we just learned. Continue with the third quote, Michael. Sacrifice a Passover offering to God, sheep and cattle, in the place that God will choose to make his home. Do not eat any leaven with it. 
For seven days thereafter you shall eat matzah, bread of distress, since you left Egypt in the rush, so that you will remember the day you left Egypt all the days of your life. Here is again the connection between sacrificing the Passover lamb with not eating chometz. One more, read this too. Hold it in the safekeeping until the 14th day for this month and the entire community of Israel shall then slaughter them in the afternoon. Here we read clearly the Torah says on the first year, that's all from the parsha of this week that we're going to learn. When you have to slaughter the, the lamb on the 14th day of Nisan, Pesach is the 15th day of Nisan. The Seder is the 15th day of Nisan. Here the Torah tells us clear in this parsha, you have to offer the sacrifice on the 14th day of Nisan before Pesach. And at the same time, you're already not allowed to eat chometz. That 14th of Nisan in the afternoon, when you, when you slaughter the Passover lamb, at the same time, you cannot eat chometz. Then what the Rebbe wants to point out, wants to say maybe that from there we learn, then you not, we don't eat, we already get rid of the chometz from midday because we want to make sure that we don't eat uh, chometz, we, we don't make a mistake and eat chometz at night. That's what the, the, the first uh, thought of it is. Um, Olga, you want to read? Maimonides writes. Maimonides writes, Torah commands us to destroy chometz before the time becomes forbidden to eat, as the verse states. On the first day, destroy leaven from your homes. The oral tradition teaches that the first day refers to the um, 14th of the month, the day before the onset of uh, Passover. Proof of the matter is from the verse, do not slaughter the Passover sacrifice with leaven in your possession. And the slaughter of the Passover uh, offering is on the 14th after midday. Uh, Likewise, in an earlier chapter, my my, uh, my Mm -hmm. writes, it is forbidden to eat Chometz on the day of the 14th of Nisan from noon onward. Um, from the beginning of the seventh hour of the day. One who eats Hametz during this time is liable for lashes according to Torah law. As the verse states, do not eat any leaven with, uh, with it together with the Pesach offering. The oral tradition explains that this statement means do not eat any chametz after the time of the Passover offering slaughter, that uh, uh, be that being the afternoon after midday. Okay, basically what we just explained, that you cannot eat chametz after midday because in the same time we, we, we offer the Passover lamb. Okay, um, Ed, you want to continue? This yep. law, um, this law seems to dem- this yeah. law seems to demonstrate that Torah itself sets up safeguards for its commandments. Here, Torah forbids the consumption of chametz from midday on the fourteenth of Nisan and commands that it be destroyed. The reason is presumably to safeguard you from the prohibition of chametz with the onset of Passover at night. Then what Go it on. says? Yeah, he says on the first glance you see you can see. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, what the Rebbe wants to point out, this could be a proof for the concept of a safeguard in the Torah itself. That God himself sets up a safeguard. You're not allowed to eat chometz from the beginning of the night from the Seder. 
Just what the Torah tells you should not eat from the afternoon. Why? Because you might make a mistake and eat so late chometz that you might get into the night by mistake. You'll start a party on a Erev Pesach afternoon, eating a big, big, have a big meal, drink uh, alcohol with chometz, and you get so drunk you forget you 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 by mistake you go into the seder. Therefore, the Torah says it's so important not to eat chometz from the midday. You should not eat chometz. That could be an example for a safeguard within the Torah law itself. Because he say that the Torah doesn't give safeguard. Torah gives the laws. The rabbis make safeguard. It is a biblical safeguard, so to speak, I would say. But, continue. A, a, a quick question. Sure. Quick question, Rabbi. Sure. A couple pages ago, a couple pages ago, we saw that it says in the Torah itself, safeguard my Torah. So is that not one of the mitzvot? Yeah, safeguard the others. It could be, that's an order to the rabbis. But we want to look if the Bible itself gave an example how to do it, of doing such a thing. Right. Because you say safeguard the Torah could have many meanings. You understand? Safeguard the Torah could mean, could mean many things. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean necessarily to make a rule that you cannot eat this because of this. Safeguard the right. Torah could mean uh, put policemen on the street that nobody should do the wrong thing. You understand what I'm saying? The word the, the Torah says safeguard the Torah could be not necessarily yeah. meaning putting pro- prohibitions, um, uh, rules not to eat this because of this and make fences. Could be other meanings. You understand what I'm saying? We want to find is in the Torah itself yeah. method of doing things. That's the question. Continue I on. like this better than morality piece, like uh, police, like Saudi Arabia and Iran. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you. I'm just I like saying, our safeguards better. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> however, however, a closer examination of the, t- however, a closer examination of the text reveals that the comet's prohibition on the 14th is not a safeguard for a later prohibition. Rather, it is its own principal commandment. The Passover offering cannot be sacrificed with comets in your possession. As evident from the verses, do not eat any leaven with it and do not slaughter the Passover sacrifice with leaven in your possession. Then we see, it says, the, re- the real reason is not because of a safeguard. It's because we offer the Passover lamb. And during the time of offering the Passover lamb, you're not allowed to eat comets. Not as a safeguard to something else. It's already a biblical prohibition. During Passover lamb, you're not, when you are busy with the Passover lamb, you cannot have chometz in, in your possession. That's why it's not because you might make a mistake and eat it at night. Now I'm not allowed to eat it. Not as an extra uh, precaution. Then this is not a good example for uh, the rabbis, for the Bible making a safeguard. This is not a safeguard. This is a law in its own, on its own right. Then we have to look for another example. Again, the Rebbe looks for another example within Pesach, and this is a beautiful example. Let's, uh, um, uh, Barry, are you here? You want to read the uh, source number five, please? I'm here. Took the dog out and I came back. Great idea. Where am I reading? Uh, this source number five. Yeah, yeah, please. This prohibition is more extreme than other commandments because people are not accustomed to abstaining from comets all year round. 
Perhaps this is the reason Torah commands us to remove it from our possessions entirely. Okay, let's see what he's talking about. Continue. The proof that Torah <laughs> establishes safeguards is from the commandment that no comets whatsoever may be seen or found in your possession on Passover. In no other instance does Torah forbid a person from owning uh, forbidden matter, even if it even if located at the other end of the world. A Jew is forbidden to derive any benefit from idol worship, and this prohibition applies even to the minutest amount of the forbidden matter. But it is still not as severe as the prohibition to own comets, even for a single moment on Passover. You see, on Pesach, we see a very strange law. Not only, you know, for example, you're not allowed to eat pork. Fine. Don't eat pork. But it's not, you're not allowed to own it for a minute. You're not allowed to have it in your house. Oy, 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 oy. Comes to Pesach, you're not allowed to own chomets. Even if you have an apartment, you have a house in Florida. Thank God Hashem helped you. You can afford a house in Florida. <coughs> you have to make sure that there is no chomets in Florida in your house. Even the house is locked up. Or you have to sell it for the chomets to a guy, like selling the chomets. Or you have to nullify it and make it ownerless. The point is, I'm not allowed to have in my possession any comments. Yeah, but what if you own like a timeshare where people, other people use it? Then aren't timeshare. you? Timeshare is not your house. It's not your place. But, but you still have ownership in it. You have ownership in the time, not in the, you have ownership in the, in the, in the building, in the house. If it's your time, it's now you using this time is your time. It's a, maybe you have to do it. But if it's not your time now, I don't think it's I don't think it's yours. No, I don't right. think so. I never thought about that. Nobody ever asked me this question, but I don't think so. In any, curious, case, in any case, the point is when you own something, you cannot own comets. You cannot have it in your house. You have to get rid of it, right? It's something unique to the mitzvah of Pesach. Even anything of idol worshiping, you're not allowed to own, to sell. You're not allowed to sell. But it's not a matter. It should not be seen in front of your eyes. Baliroi, balimotze. cannot be found. cannot be seen. And the Torah said, that's unique about Pesach. Why? Continue. Um, um, we'll give uh, Oleg. You want to continue? The reason for, for uh, Torah stringency regarding Kumas Humas is explained by Rebenu Nisam. Nisim. This prohibition is more extreme than other commandments because people are not accustomed to, obtain, uh, to um, abstaining from Humas all year round. Torah commands us to remove it from all possessions entirely. Meaning, idol worship is not something we're accustomed to. Quite the contrary. Therefore, there is no reason um, to ridiculously, uh, radically prohibit it. But since we are accustomed to eating kumas all year round, a more stringent prohibition is necessary to ensure that all we don't uh, accidentally consume it. Therefore, Torah forbids even its possession. You see, the Torah tells us not to eat chometz and Pesach. Fine. But why is this business of eradicating it, of getting rid of it, of burning it, of selling it? What is the obsession with Pesach? 
Why? We don't see it anywhere else. The Torah doesn't tell us, doesn't allow us to eat not kosher meat. But the Torah, but the Torah doesn't say, one second, one second. The Torah doesn't say that you're not allowed to, to, one second. The Torah doesn't say that you're not allowed to, to have it in your house. Why is it on Pesach the Torah says you're not, you're not enough not to eat chometz? Don't see it. Don't even, what, what, what's the rush? What's the mess? What's the urgency? The answer is simple. I do not eat pork or holy, right? That I will never make a mistake. Go and eat it. But chometz I eat every day of my life. I get up in the middle of the night. I'm very hungry. I go to the, to the, to the kitchen. I see a piece of cake. I'll eat it. I forgot it's Pesach. Then because you may, might forget quicker than anything goes, therefore the Torah says, don't even have it around you. Eradicate it. Get rid of it. Sell it. What's the idea? The idea is, then here is an example of a safeguard that the Torah itself did. Not that the rabbis did it. The Torah itself comes up with a concept that's called a safeguard, a fence. Really, the Torah doesn't, God doesn't want you to eat chometz. Because you might make a mistake, God said, add an extra thing. Don't even have it in your house. From here, the rabbis took the idea of making safeguard to other people, wherever they see that people can make mistakes, they take away from them, they put a safeguard to make sure they don't make mistakes. This is the proof for where the rabbis invented the idea of making safeguards. They didn't come up with an idea on their own. They found, they found that in this law in the Torah, in our parsha of this week, you see in our parsha, in Parshat Bo, before the 10th plague, the Torah speaks about God gives Moses the rules of Pesach. They are, tells them about the holiday of Pesach. And he tells them right in Egypt, they should make a seder and they should offer the Passover lamb and they should keep some matzahs, they had a holiday for seven days, and there he says to them, they should not be seen chomets. Um, Ole, continue. Clearly, Torah does create safeguards. The prohibition, the own comments on Pesach, a clear prohibition in the Torah, is, is a safeguard against mistakenly eating hummus on Passover. God forbid. Because we are so accustomed to eating uh, it all year round. Exactly. Okay, Steve, uh, finish it. Uh, this is the source for all future rabbinic ordinances. We can say further, our sages enacted safeguards only based on the precedent of this one, established by Torah. The Talmud states that all ordinances of our sages must resemble Torah law. Likewise, the very basis for all ordinances of the sages are these very safeguards created by the Torah. Yeah, then basically what the Rebbe wants to point out, whatever the rabbis, even the method that they're using is coming, that is something that comes from the Torah. Everything that you see from the rabbis is really, if you dig deep enough, you find something where they pick this up. They didn't sit and made a meeting. He came up with new ideas. It's all based on Torah. Even the prayer book, the, qu- the quotes, the uh, most of the three quarters of the prayer books is from the book of, of Psalms, from the Bible. The verses, the Amida service is all quotes from the Bible itself. 
we once spoke about the first prayer of the Amida. We're not going long days. The idea we say, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, the God, the, the great and awesome and mighty God. This is expressions that Moses says in the Bibles. In the Bible, the rabbis never made up their own stuff. They just took from the Torah and applied it to more, to more situations, to more places. And here is a pair, what the rabbi wants to show, show that whatever the rabbis came up with the idea of safeguard, it's in the Torah. God invented the idea and the rabbis just explore, ex, uh, expanded it, made it into more, uh, uh, applied the same concept to more rules. That's what it's all about. Okay, it was nice to learn with you today, as usual. Got anybody has a question? Okay. Thank you. Okay, thank thank you. you. Very good. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you, Rabbi. Have a question. Well, yeah, go ahead. It's a, it's a strange question, but since we just got a new dog, does chomets apply to cat and dog food? Yeah, you cannot feed chomets to a dog. Yes. Really? It's your, it's your dog. You cannot eat chomets. So what do you feed them? There is there is kosher for Pesach and uh, um, dog food. Dog food. And yes, really? okay. That's Thanks. why I don't have dogs. It's too complicated. <laughs> I wouldn't uh, recommend giving them money matzah. Could uh, plug them up a little bit, you know. <laughs> like, like like humans. Got to have it in the first day. Got to have it the first day. There is, there is kosher for Pesach dog food. Really? Okay. All right. Thanks, Rabbi. No problem. Bye-bye. Thank you. Have a good week. Have a good week. Thanks, Have a good week. Take care.